lots of automobile manufacturers and other companies that are working diligently on autonomous driving technology. Which, by the way, includes a, a 15 or so different companies, but does not include... Tesla, yes. Tesla is the glaring omission from this consortium. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of the Tesla Q podcast. This is going to be an interview episode with Montana Skeptic. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Tesla Q podcast and become a monthly contributor. Or you could go to the Square Cash app and search for Tesla Q podcast. And without further ado, we're going to go straight into the interview. So Montana, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. And uh, obviously Tesla's share price has declined quite a bit recently, which is good news for us and people of our ilk, I guess. Uh, but it's, it's still pretty, it's still stratospherically high, you know, a market cap of close to 35 billion still or 33 mm-hmm. billion or whatever it is with a company that's losing billions every year and um, with declining revenues and declining deliveries, I'd say it's uh still a great time for anybody long Tesla. Yes. To People will look back on these 170 plus dollar share prices and wish that they had exited now instead of later, I'm sure. So, you know, the remarkable thing is that, that they, you know, after the funding secured um, fiasco where you had all the evidence, I think a reasonable person needed to conclude Elon Musk was not trustworthy. The share price remained above 300 for months and months. And anyone with any sense got out of town at that point. Uh, and you can see the T row price has slowly but steadily been exiting and fidelity as well. And it's only our friends in Scotland who are the big holders now, you know, along with a cast of characters, smaller holders. But Bailey Gifford is who, uh, who made yes, the biggest hit in this. Uh, one one thing that I've noted with the timing of things that I don't I don't know that many other people have noticed is that the five thousand vehicle per week production supposedly was hit on June thirtieth of last year, so right at eleven months ago, and right around the same time period was when the Martin Trip thing happened, and then in quick succession there was the doxing of you and. Also, just before that was the the Vern Unsworth thing, and then just after the doxing of you was the funding secured thing. So all those things happened in a relatively short time period. Do you have any thoughts about that timing or or anything? No, I I really don't. I mean, I suspect that when Elon Musk is particularly under stress and under the influence of other things, that he his behavior becomes more erratic and. I'm guessing that was a, such a time when he was struggling to get production up and wasn't meeting the production numbers. The story has changed so much since then. It's not a story any longer of not being able to produce enough. It's a story of not being able to sell even the lesser production you're making without slashing prices and even at that straining to do so. So, I, you know, I, I really think this SEC hugely frustrating to him. It has constrained his ability to tweet. It hasn't, you know, he still finds ways to do an end around, but it's really a big constraint on his classic means of manipulating the share price. So in, in thinking about that time period last summer and in thinking of the this recent issue with Skabushka, which you've been helping out with, do you ever wish that you had last summer decided to just go head on against Elon Musk? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what that would have accomplished. Okay. I I did, I did and do want Elon Musk to know that I do not in the slightest fear the defamation suit that he, he threatened. He can sue me tomorrow. I'll accept service of process. 
have added Elon Musk. And I hope I've made that clear over the last year. I don't know what there was for me to go head to head against Elon Musk about at that time. There were, he, I didn't have a cause of action against him. I had not lost my job, which I enjoy. And I have um, the happiness of friends in the Tesla Q community. And I did want to communicate to him that I have absolutely no fear about him bringing a defamation action against me, which is what he threatened. Uh, he can bring it tomorrow. I'll happily accept service of process. I'll welcome the opportunity because I haven't committed any defamation or libel. I'm happy to discuss with him any issues he has about anything I've written. I always have been. He's never communicated with me or had any of his agents communicate with me. He's done me actually uh, a service in a sense because I um, have become kind of an accidental celebrity. Uh, the Financial Times started to digest and reprint some of my Tesla, including its phony gross margin metric and other things that I'd written. Uh, I made a lot of uh, friends in Tesla Q in consequence of it. They're really great people. And I um, have actually communicated with the mainstream press far more since that incident than I ever did before. I am in communication with reporters from, you know, mainstream outlets all over the place who are curious to know what's going on. And so uh, I think I have gone head to head with him. And I've, in the case of Skabushka, I've said, you know what, Elon Musk, um, this accusation of workplace violence is uh, just another example of your petty, vindictive, vengeful frame of mind that is uh, possibly a product of your paranoia and narcissism and uh, egomaniacal character. And, and I'm going head to head with him right now there. So, you know, Elon, that's how I feel about things. I feel like um, I have nothing more to prove to you. And uh, if you ever want to discuss any of this, I'm here. So you mentioned that you still have your job. So your job now is, is as an investor, basically. Montana, how, how did you end up going from being a trial lawyer to a professional investor, more or less? Well, I'm loath to call myself a professional investor. What happened is I represented uh, someone from New York in a highly complex piece of federal litigation oh, back in the 1990s. And um, a, a bunch of cases got consolidated in federal court, and we tried the case. It was a you know, federal securities fraud case. And when you go through a year and a half or so of discovery with someone and then an actual jury trial in federal court, you get to know them very well. The people who were suing him actually ended up having a huge judgment lodged against them. And several of them ended up in uh, federal prison thereafter for securities fraud and tax evasion because the SEC and IRS sat through the trial and listen to the evidence we had developed. And over the years, he stayed in touch with me, even though I was not in his state. And um, when he sold his company in 1999, sorry, in 2010, um, I helped him sell it. And he said, listen, suddenly he had all this liquid wealth. He was, you know, a billionaire. And he said, I, I have no desire to be an investor would you come to New York and just handle all the business and legal affairs? And I said, well, I'd, I'd love to, but I have no background in investing either. You know, I'm a commercial trial lawyer. I see cases that are pathology, not healthy tissue, and uh, have never been trained in finance, except, you know, for some background in accounting. And he said, I don't care. Uh, I understand that, but I think you'll learn and I have trust in you. So please do it. And I thought, you know, at this point in my life, for various personal reasons, it was a compelling opportunity. So I came to do that. That's how it happened. It was, you know, a great opportunity, accidental again. Do you ever wish that you still got to, to be a lawyer and, and go to court regularly? It was, you know, it was a lot of fun. For whatever reason, my partner and I tried a lot of cases and she was a really hard worker. And this is after I left the big law firm where I used to work. We had our own firm for 10 years and, but it was exhausting. We worked six or seven days a week 
And the emotional strain was huge because for so many of our clients, it was do or die. It was, you know, we win this case or I'm out of business, I'm broke, I'm whatever. And uh, the, the long hours and the stress I don't miss, the excitement of trying cases I do miss. Gotcha. So I've got kind of a mix of questions here today, some about you specifically and some more about Tesla specifically. So I'm going to move, move to a Tesla question. So as much as the share price has been down recently, have you started to feel any vindication yet or is it too early for mm. that? Well, you know, I, I feel like the things are moving in the right direction. Um, vindication. Yeah, I kind of, I will admit I feel vindicated. I think the share price is still stratospheric. It's still, as I said, a tremendous opportunity for people to exit and you know capture any gains they might have or minimize any losses there's a long way to go but people still have different opinions it could the outcome could be different from what i expect um you know so i don't want to be one hates to be cocky but yeah I, I kind of really do feel vindicated it's much lower the price right now than when i started writing and unlike then there is no clear, compelling path to to a sustained higher price. Their big, uh, you know, the great promise of Tesla was this mass market car, the Model 3. And it's clear to me that the Model 3 is a total failure. It is an unreliable car. They can't make it, you know, and sell it profitably. They've already exhausted their backlog of the high margin variants. The story in Europe is uh, of disaffected consumers. And increasingly, I think you'll see that in the US. And the only variants that they can sell in any kind of volume now cannot make them enough money to stay in business. And apparently that vehicle attempted to, to kill Aladdin. Yeah. Which we found out about over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The you know some of these blue check celebrity types who are discovering that their Tesla is not everything it was cracked up to be. So, I I haven't been following Tesla closely, not super closely for more than maybe fifteen months or so. How how long have you been following them closely? Probably uh, three and a half years or so. You know, not not nearly so long years. as, for example, Mark Spiegel and. And that's and Tesla is the basically the only company you wrote seeking alpha articles. It is, yeah. About. People used to give me a hard time about okay. that. All right. Based on your legal experience, could you give a roughly rank ordered list of Tesla's biggest legal liabilities by total size, the likelihood that Tesla will have to pay them, and how imminent yeah, they might be? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I think the we're talking just Tesla now, not Elon Musk. I think you can you could talk about Elon specifically as well if you Yeah, the first want. really big um liability happens to be Elon Musk and that's because there's now a trial setting in the Vern Unsworth case and it's in federal court and the federal court judges run their calendar really in a disciplined way and require um pretrial orders that are highly detailed they put a lot of uh burden on the trial counsel and I think that October trial setting has a decent chance of sticking and that the judge will be loath to grant continuances. And certainly Unsworth will be uh, very uh, opposed to any attempt to delay the case. And there, you know, the judge has now uh, gone through a motion to dismiss and written a very detailed opinion looking at all the law involving defamation and comparing it with the facts that Elon Musk's attorneys tried to get the judge to bite off on and has rejected their interpretation quite rightly in my opinion. So that, that is, has a potential for huge liability for Elon Musk. It's hard to quantify, but my guess would be, you know, certainly seven figures, much more likely, likely eight figures, a large check that Elon Musk is going to have to write to sell that litigation. I think he'd be crazy to go to trial, and yet, on the other hand, he is crazy. And he, you know, his borrowing right now on margin is so large that for him to say, hey, I can settle this case for $50 million, I need you to loan me more money, 
that may be a tough sell with his lenders. He's really in a very dicey position right now. But to me, the Unsworth case holds the greatest potential to bring down the house of cards in terms of action is out there. There are, of course, hundreds of lemon lawsuits, and they will be settled, but for relatively small amounts. There are some personal injury lawsuits, and it's hard for me to gauge how soon they'll get to trial or what the settlement calculus looks like in those. Those are serious cases, but in most instances, you're talking about damages somewhere between, say, a million to $20 million. So um, I guess doable in a stretch for Tesla, though it's obviously doing everything it can to conserve cash. The, the biggest dollar amount lawsuits are the 10B5 lawsuits. And the biggest one there, of course, is the funding secured lawsuit. And the potential damages there are easily several hundred million dollars. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately if you're Tesla, the lawyers who want to represent the class are fighting with each other and are, and the case is now tied up in procedural wrangling to see who will be the lead class counsel. So those cases won't get to trial for at least another year and a half, more likely two years. Uh, so again, I see the Unsworth case and some of the personal injury cases to be the biggest near-term litigation threats. And of course, there are potential, about, there are potential 10B5 cases, right? Mm -hmm. What about the, the Solar City acquisition? Cases? Yeah, that's an interesting case. That's a derivative action in uh, Delaware. And the claim there is that uh, Elon Musk controlled the corporation, which the court has now ruled is likely the case. It's going to let the case go to trial. It goes to, I think it's in Chancery Court in Delaware. That case will get to trial. I haven't checked the calendar there recently, but my guess is that case will get to trial either late this year or early next year. And that's a significant case because it implicates the director's it's a case brought on behalf of the corporation, and I think really most of the liability there lies with the directors. Um, I don't know exactly what director and officer liability insurance they have, but uh, that case is a potential embarrassment. The problem in that case to me has always been damages. The trouble with the Solar City acquisition is, even though it was clearly a breach of fiduciary duty that Tesla is now paying dearly for, in the year plus after the acquisition occurred, the share price rose. So to say one was damaged by that, it's going to present a complicated damages model. And I'm just not sure where they get to with that. Gotcha. How, how long do you think the Unsworth cases will take to play out, both the, the U.S. and the U.K. case? Well, if he loses in the U.S., the, the, he's in deep trouble, okay? But the U.S. case is here because uh, it's easier to prove, far easier to prove defamation in the U.K. But to collect from a U.S. litigant, the United States courts require that you prove that the def defamation case would have succeeded under U.S. law. That's why there's a lawsuit here in the United States so it's really the U.S. lawsuit that is everything rests upon. And I think it's going to play out this year. And I think you'll have a jury trial. And if there's a judgment, I, I, again, I can't conceive the case won't settle. But if it actually goes to trial, Musk risks a huge judgment against him because, you know, Vern Unsworth will be able to go to the jury and say, here I am, just do a, a little guy in Thailand directing this rescue, which turned out to be successful with expertise that I and only I had. And I get accused of being first a pedophile and then he doubles down on it and then he calls me a child rapist and destroys my reputation throughout the world. And look at all the hate mail I've gotten since then and these hateful posts on Twitter and the you know, the, the terrible damage to my reputation. And this man is a multi, multi-billionaire. How can you touch him? How can you hurt him? How can you make him appreciate how wrong this is? Unless you write down a big number, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that'll be the argument. And for Musk to go to court with those facts, I mean, he, he is an incredibly arrogant human being, but if he's that arrogant and that deluded, 
he's making a terrible mistake. You know, I see it getting to trial this year, and I, I think there's a possibility of a judgment this year. Even with a jury? Oh, trial? yeah, a jury. You know, the jury, and uh, they'll hear testimony. I can't imagine testimony in this case takes more than a few weeks at most, okay? The federal court judge will mm -hmm. run a disciplined trial, and um, the jury will hand in its verdict, and a judgment will be entered. And then Musk can appeal if he wants, but if the judgment is against him, he better post a bond or the uh, the the successful plaintiff will be able to levy and execute in the meantime. So a huge amount of peril there, especially considering the parlous margin loan uh, difficulty that Elon Musk likely finds himself in right now. And the current date for the current court date is somewhere like October twenty second. Yeah, I don't I, I don't recall the exact date, but it's in October Some, this year. Sometime correct. in October. Okay. All right. Moving on to a, a different legal action, since Tesla collects legal actions like baseball cards almost, do you have any guess about how the SEC will view these recent email leaks that seem to me to be coordinated by Elon Musk and intentionally leaked, uh, even though just a month or so ago he had the, the email warning his employees not to leak emails? These seem to be intentionally leaked. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think certainly the SEC could make a case that he n knew or should have known that they would be leaked. You know, the guy has run an end around. I, I honestly feel like the SEC has done a decent job. They blew the oral argument in front of Judge Nathan, and I've already talked about that before. People who've listened know my explanation there. At this point, I have to believe Certainly the DOJ is doing whatever it's doing. The SEC has got to be asking questions about other recent things that have happened. You know, there's the extraordinary divergence between what Musk said on the eve of the latest capital raise and then what he said in that leaked email, which we can discuss. Um, and there's the extraordinary divergence between the business model of RoboTaxi that he set forth in that uh, conference call, that secret, that, well, less restricted conference call on the eve of the capital raise and what the prospectus materials said. They have so much to do there. The, the showing that he's behind the leaks is more high degree of difficulty, I think. And they see the company struggling in the financial markets. And I think rather than being the cause of it being brought down, they're going to want to be instead, you know, the, the medical examiner who comes and fills out the death certificate. That's simply the reality of the world we're in, though I think they, you know, Tesla faces and Musk faces serious jeopardy for some of these other problems. There will be ongoing risks, which complicate, among other things, uh, any ability of a third party to acquire Tesla, you know, out of bankruptcy, short of bankruptcy. So that's a, that's a big, you know, Musk has created that issue. So it, it sounds like you think the, the issues relating to this recent capital raise are much more of a, a problem for Tesla and Elon Musk than the email leaks specifically. Yeah, I, I do. I think that. Um, just to review what happened on May 2nd, he got on a conference call sponsored by Citibank and Goldman Sachs, who were two of the several, I forget, four or five underwriters for the most recent capital raise. And investors had emailed questions to the city or Goldman Sachs representative who, who um, hosted the call. And those questions were read to Elon Musk. There was never any follow-up, but they were read and he answered. And the very first question was, why are you raising capital now? Because he had said repeatedly, we don't you know, want to raise capital or need to raise capital. And he said, well, we don't really need it. We don't need it for our ongoing operations. We're going to be able to fund our CapEx out of our um, cash flow. This is just a buffer. Those were his words. This is a cash buffer in case there's a recession or in case there's an overall downturn in the worldwide auto market. And then a couple of weeks later in his in that leaked email, he says, we are burning cash ferociously. We're in deep trouble. We've got to slash our expenses. We just lost $700 million. We're going to run out of cash later this year if we don't change course. So it was obviously a totally different story from what he had told those investors who were the key big money investors 
who would presumably be buying the convertible bonds and the equity, you know, capital raise. That is a major 10B5 issue. The people who just invested in Tesla were handed a beautiful 10B5 action on a silver platter. Now, whether it ever materializes, who knows, but that's a real, you know, sort of Damocles danger for Tesla. And the second thing that happened during that call was he essentially said, people were asking, what about, for example, what's your order book look look like right now? Are you going to achieve the 25% gross margin? And he became testy and irritable and impatient with those questions and repeatedly said, look, no, we're not going to make 25% gross margin. I'll feel lucky if we get to 20%, which by the way, means, you know, you better hope for it's 15%. But stop asking me about, you know, the auto business. We're not an auto manufacturer anymore. We are a robo-taxi company, and our cars are going to appreciate sixfold or eightfold. And in one year, we'll have half a million or more robo-taxis on the road, and shortly thereafter, a million robo-taxis on the road. And while you sleep, your car will be earning you money, and this is going to turn us into a half-trillion-dollar company. Well, the problem with all that, besides it being utterly absurd is that the none of the prospectus materials for the capital raise mention any of that they don't even use the word robo taxi and i think that creates potential 10b5 dangers for tesla as well a somewhat related question which somewhat brought brought about by actions on twitter over the weekend do you think chamath whatever the guy's last name is who was on CNBC the very day before the capital raise on May 1st talking about convertible bonds. And I believe he used the term risk-free in relation to the convertible bonds. Do you think he might face any liability with that appearance coming the very day before the capital raise actually occurred? I don't think there's any um, legal liability associated with being incredibly ignorant and stupid. And arrogant, and he's all three of those things. But I don't think that leads to any legal liability unless someone can show he was in some conspiracy with Elon Musk, which I very much doubt. I think he actually is one of these Silicon Valley types who's a one-hit wonder and who, because he succeeded with this company, Facebook, thinks he is suddenly – you know, he's a billionaire, so he must be a genius. I've seen that syndrome many times, and he exhibits it in spades. Gotcha. When, when do you think Tesla will next need to raise capital to stave off bankruptcy or to, to get their next buffer of cash? Well, you know, I don't have um, access to the books and records, but based on everything I see and read, I believe Tesla is highly unlikely to achieve 90,000 deliveries in Q2, which is their minimum guidance. I believe they will be forced to re-guide for the full year it will you know they're at 360 to 400k i think that they will not achieve even 300,000 and i believe that they will achieve 80,000 in q2 if but only if they continue this price slashing and incentive offering behavior that is absolutely gutting their margins they will have a terrible q2 when you see the financials no matter how almost healthy the delivery number will look the financials will be terrible and at the end of q2 you have yet another fiscal cliff you have then exhausted all the backlog in europe you know now you're down to sr plus cars the s and the x are being sold only with massive discounts may in europe is even lower than april was and all the analysts and all the Tesla investors are going to have to come to grips with the fact that their EPS estimates and their delivery forecasts were far too optimistic. I think the cash burn is so ferocious that Tesla in Q3 will be in desperate straits. And I think it that may be its last gasp attempt to raise money. And, you know, the people who just bought these convertible bonds – have seen those decline dramatically in price in no time. Fortunately, the you know the equity Tesla issue was probably so that those very people could hedge bonds and the 
uh, the the gains on the hedges may actually outweigh the losses on the bonds. But that is not a healthy place to be if you're trying to raise capital, especially in this market where the tech stocks are coming under fire and into question. And the unicorns are, are suddenly people are saying, wait a minute, WeWork wants to go public with, you know, bonds trading at almost 800 basis points over treasuries. How, what kind of madness is this? So I think it, the, the, we get to dire straits in Q3. Q3, they have raise again or die. How's that? In Q3 2019. 2019. All right. Writing that down. <laughs> that sounds about right based on my estimates. I actually, as soon as the the new raise occurred in early May, and as soon as it was clear that they were only going to net about $2.4 billion of that $2.7 billion, my off the off the cuff estimate was that that money might last them five to eight months and a few people ridiculed that and said oh that's whatever 2.4 billion that's at least three quarters but i think some of those people weren't looking at the accounts payable and the all the panasonic purchase obligations and everything well we should both be impervious to ridicule at this point right yes you got to have thick skin if you're if you're going to take up this side of the, the trade. So if there happened to be a recall of autopilot, do you think that Tesla customers would have any recourse for refunds? And what would that do for Tesla if there was a recall of autopilot? Well, sure. They would have, um, they would have great claims to get a refund and it into the Tesla share price. And, um, whether Tesla voluntarily surrendered the money or whether there were some litigation, all those things would figure into the whole story. And, you know, that would, it could be added to the litigation that's already pending against Tesla. And then you have to say what happens to all those litigants. And that's a whole nother question. So it would, it would be a, a bad day for, for Tesla's terrible economy. day for Tesla's, especially with this, Hey, the new story is robo taxis, right? And suddenly, some governmental agency says, you know, we're tired of you killing people with this auto slaughter and we're going to make you stop for a while until you can really demonstrate that it's actually safe, which might be, you know, a decade from now. That would be devastating because that is the last narrative Elon Musk has left. Other than the, the pickup <laughs> truck, which he started. Yeah, nobody way. believes that. Well, okay. <laughs> a few people who will believe anything believe that. Yes. The same people that believe that the SpaceX cold gas thrusters are going to make the new roadster Right, Ryan fly. McCaffrey was asking uh, Elon Musk about that this weekend. Yeah. I actually just listened to that before this interview. And Ryan sounds like a really nice guy. Like, sounds sounds like he's a nice family man and all that stuff, but... He's a little bit, uh, little, little bit too believe believing of what Elon. Yeah, says. there's a hardcore who will, so. who will believe to the end and beyond the end, and that's you know that's how human nature is. Mm -hmm. Back to some questions that aren't Tesla specific. What resources would you recommend for somebody who's a, maybe a beginner investor to help? help them enhance their abilities to understand and analyze stocks and especially from the short side. Okay. So, um, it's very dangerous to be a short investor. I feel like I knew a huge amount about Tesla and for the first two years I invested in it. I lost money. I've, you know, more that's so far behind me now with how great this year has been. But those were painful years, and um, it, it's so hard. The timing is very hard to get right. Markets are not rational. Short selling is just not for everybody. And it, I, I, you know, I really caution against it. The books I would recommend to anybody, I thought about this because you told me you might ask me about this. First, I would say read Benjamin Graham, The Intelligent Investor written you know to go but a very wise book 
And some people say, well, value investing is dead today. It will, it will be back. It's coming back. The second book, and, and again, that will give you a real understanding of so many important things in investing. And I say this having come from finance to investing, and I was so ignorant. And I'm a highly educated person that tried lots of complex commercial litigation cases. The investing stuff is tough. Most people out there don't have the first clue about it. Most people out there would be so much better served investing in index funds, okay? For example, a product like Wealthfront, where Burton Malkiel is the CIO, that is a great idea instead of trying to be a stock picker or a short seller or something exotic. You'll do much better over the long haul if that's what you do. The second book I would say is Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow because it is a brilliant exposition of the enormous cognitive biases that we all labor under. And once you understand um, all the biases that you are susceptible to and you'll, you'll see yourself in every chapter, then the important lesson is, guess what? Even if you understand and recognize these, it's impossible to change them. Just about impossible. You won't be able to do it unless you're some incredibly systematic, disciplined person. So few of us are. Again, that will lead you to back to Wealthfront or some similar product. And the third book I would recommend is, well, any book by Jack Bogle, okay, who is the godfather of index investing. One of them that's shorter and concise and maybe a good place to start is called the little book of common sense investing. So those are, those are the three books I would encourage anybody to start with. Glad to say that I own the first two, but I don't have any Bogle. Yeah. Well, well you, if you have the first two, you understand what Bogle's going to be saying probably. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, would you ever consider writing a book yourself about investing or your analytical methodology or philosophy? I want to make this clear. I am not a CFA. I am not. I don't have any um, degree in finance. I don't have any degree in accounting. I am not qualified to give that kind of advice. I think the advice I just gave is, is this. Most of us really would be so much better off with index funds than trying to be stock pickers or short sellers or anything like that. That's just the truth. And, uh, of course, timing is also important right now. We, you know, it may be a time to go to cash because we're engaged in this unique monetary experiment with our central bankers all over the world. Um, investing is always risky, but I just think it's less risky if you do it the wealth front way or the Bogle way. And I'm not... I'm not qualified to write that book and I'm not qualified to give anybody else advice. What about maybe a book about your, your vantage point of the Tesla? Oh, perhaps, you know, so, so perhaps. a lot of people are right now engaged in writing books, but you know, my story is a tiny little corner of it and I'm confident there will be other greater books coming out soon. There's one that Ed uh, Niedermeyer is writing that's, been accepted by a publisher and will appear later this year. I'm looking forward to that. I believe it's called Ludicrous. Ludicrous. Yeah. So, and you know, a Ashley Vance wrote a great book about Elon Musk. Flawed because Ashley Vance believes so much of what Musk told him, but still highly illuminating. And I know there's there are at least three or four other books being worked on right now. And people have read my story and know my story. And I don't think I need to write a book. I'm I'm sure you're going to be a character in at least possibly, books, you know. Yeah. 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 I would imagine that you will be. <laughs> uh moving back to more Tesla specific things, do you have any thoughts about Maxwell uh whether they whether you actually believe that any of their technology is going to be used by Tesla and maybe why there didn't seem to be any other interest from any other suitors besides Tesla? Okay, I'll just 
I'll be blunt. No, nothing Maxwell does will ever be of any use to Tesla. Um, you know, if if Maxwell has some secret soft sauce for the battery breakthrough that's been promised for so long, it will take years to develop and it will be too late to save Tesla. Tesla is wed, in fact, to the most backward battery cell architecture out there, the cylindrical cell. Other automakers are moving to the pouch or the prismatic cell. Even Panasonic in its joint venture uh, with, I think, Toyota is moving to the pouch and prismatic architectures. That's what the European auto manufacturers are using, the I-Pace and uh, the Mercedes car, the EQC, the Audi, the Volkswagen cars, the Porsche will all be pouch or prismatic. You know, this... I don't, I can't explain why Tesla wanted to acquire Maxwell, but nothing good will come of it. And you can see the share price of Tesla reflects the market's expectations that it was a dud deal. One interesting thing that popped up on Twitter over the weekend was a revisiting of some photographs from, I believe, late in 2018 uh, and a tweet from January of 2019 which included a parking lot that was housing Tesla vehicles, which just happened to be the Maxwell headquarters. Yeah. Before that acquisition was. Yeah, was I saw I saw Elon Bachman write something about that. I that yeah, that I, would be wild. Okay. Um, of course, with it's Tesla, so anything is possible. But sometimes. A cigar is just a cigar. It just may be that Tesla used that lot because it was in, you know, close proximity to where it needed to be storing cars. The the theory, the conspiracy theory there is Tesla Maxwell bought the cars from Tesla to inflate the Tesla car delivery uh, Q1 numbers. Well, hell, they didn't inflate it much, did they? Because I think the total delivery number was like 63,000. So I honestly, am, I don't, I dismiss that a little bit. It's a, it's just too far out there. Though, you know, if Tesla were not Tesla, people would not even think to devise these theories. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was quarter four and not quarter Possibly, four. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think there's any chance that Tesla will get bought out by, I'll, I'll just say, stupid money, quote unquote? Always a chance. Or 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 smart uh, money. I guess I should say smart money first, and then be a different question. I mean, this money. is the question: equity advisors, excuse me, equity investors need to ask themselves: Will somebody come along and buy Tesla, and if so, at what price? Um. I think it's increasingly a long shot. Uh, it, you know, it could be, it will be bought out of bankruptcy, but it won't be bought short of that. And, and here's the reason why anybody buying it short of bankruptcy buys with an enormous amount of contingent liabilities, including these 10 B five cases, including the derivative case, including the lemon lawsuits, which multiply like the fishes and the loaves. Now you have, all these fires from batteries, uh, you know, that may be a problem that we'll see accelerate as the batteries age or supercharging issues become more apparent. Uh, you also buy subject to the liability that's built into the supercharging promises. It's a very expensive network to maintain and operate. And now you're giving away free supercharging yet again after Elon Musk warned that it was unsustainable to do so. But he's now been driven in desperation to offer it as an incentive again. You know, also the warranty issues with Tesla's are enormous. It's very likely that Tesla materially understates its warranty obligations with a very uh, insignificant warranty reserve that it now has. All these things make it create so many contingent obligations and problems for anybody who would consider acquiring Tesla other than in a reorganization that I have to say it will have to be very money that would ever consider it. Are you there? Could you repeat what? <clears throat> Sorry, you cut out just before you said what kind of money. 
Yeah, I have to believe that the only kind of money that would ever consider it would be very stupid money indeed. I, I think it's unlikely. Yeah, the the on balance sheet liabilities are already what twelve billion or more. Well, just the debt is over ten billion, I think, and then warranties and supercharging and all that. Other yeah, thing. plus contractual obligations. Yeah. They're much. They're large. They're huge, yeah. also. So I mean. Being conservative, the liabilities are upwards of twenty billion. Yeah, easily. they are. Pro- probably closer to thirty. So it, it's. I just don't think. I. Why wouldn't you wait until a chapter eleven and buy it then? You know, the brand. You buy the brand and turn it into a, a luxury niche manufacturer. Get rid of the idea of being a mass market car, uh, and and try to be the premier luxury EV maker. I think my biggest soapbox in the whole Tesla saga has been that Tesla Tesla fans and, and Tesla longs simply don't take the time to recognize the concept of enterprise value and where equity falls in the capital structure. They have no idea. This, again, is why – and it's painful to read some of these posts. You know, There's this guy, Bagholder, quotes, and he quotes these people at the TMC forum and – it is so apparent they have not the first clue about you know where equity comes in the capital stack or even the first idea about fundamentals of investing and it's sad so many some of them are saying i invaded my ira today to buy more tesla shares at 185 and uh you know even though i'm i'm way behind now i'm going to i'm sure it's going to go up and it does, it's a tragedy for so many retail investors. If you look at that Robin Hood investing site, the number of retail holders there is like more than 150,000. You know, so you've got the big institutional investors methodically unloading in a very orderly liquidation as the price drops and egging on these retail investors to buy the shares from them. And that's what's happening. The people with the least knowledge are buying at the moment of greatest peril. Along with the uh, board of directors members who are leaving and J.B. Straubel, the chief technology officer who apparently doesn't believe the ARK Invest valuation no. model. Yeah, I mean, that's so, you know, some of those are, of course, those, the 10B51 plans. But if these people, if these Tesla insiders really believe that value was there, they could so easily change course on those plans. And um, they, but they haven't. They're just getting out while the getting's good. And uh, Ryan McCaffrey is banging the drum, telling all the uh, idiots at TMC, "Come on and 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 invest some more in this company." It's uh, at some point these cheerleaders like uh, Galileo Russell, and Ross Gerber, and Kathy Wood, and Tasha Keeney, and Ryan McCaffrey, and uh, you know this guy Evan X. I forget his name. They all need to be held to account for the the terrible destruction they have wrought on the people who have trusted them. Will be a a well learned lesson for many people ultimately. Um, moving back to question more directly t- about you rather than Tesla. Would you consider yourself to be an environmentalist? Well, much more than Elon Musk. Okay. You know, I, um, this is a question that becomes so difficult to argue with people in the uh, Tesla debate. My personal view is that um, EVs are not environmentally helpful. For one thing, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny part of the problem. You could convert the entire United States automobile fleet and the European automobile fleet to, to, to EVs, and it won't touch anything because they continue to be build coal-fired electrical plants in China and in India. And until you address that larger problem, it's, it's not going to help. You know, I have a much tinier carbon footprint than Elon Musk every day in New York. I, um, I, you know, in Montana, I try to live a environmentally conscious life. I have my neighbor come over and 
harvests the hay from my field to feed his horses during the winter and keeps down the fire risk for me and the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, I, I, the idea that I hate the environment is absurd. I, it, it almost causes me physical pain to see all the plastics washing down the rivers, mostly in, you know, China or India, uh, into the oceans. It's a terrible thing. There's so much we could do to clean up the earth. But, you know, also on the other side of the equation, you have to say, what are the costs of making these changes? Um, if we all if we really wanted a carbon uh, free source of energy, you know, renewables like wind and solar are not the answer because you have to have backup power for the intermittent loads. And um, whereas, for example, nuclear would work. There are, de there are definite downsides to nuclear. They have to be addressed. It may be that you'll need some governmental, intelligent governmental program, if that's not an oxymoron, to um, have a nuclear program that could succeed because you would need a lot of standardization. Uh, complicated question, hard to get into with people, but the idea that I or other people in Tesla Q don't care about the environment is just a canard, and it's wrong. You know, I'm, for example hybrids are so much more and compelling from an environmental point of view and yet tesla has jury rigged the california zev system to in effect penalize hybrids while promoting pure evs terrible terrible idea i am a big fan of hybrid cars like tesla charts Volvo. yeah exactly good example right there mm -hmm. i mean 50 miles of electric range he he uses like two gallons of gas every three or four weeks yeah. or something. you know it, right if you want to cut emissions in the city the the uh, a car like the volt is a brilliant way to do it um and you know the the problem with forcing everyone to buy evs is that the way you force them is to require the manufacturers of internal combustion engine cars to a subsidize the ev makers and b reduce their own emissions so much that they keep increasing the cost of their car, even though emissions have dropped dramatically in the last 20 years. So the people who are can hardly afford to buy a car are going to keep their old car longer, their old car pollutes more. You're creating perverse incentives when you do this. You're actually hurting the cause instead of helping the cause. And if you want to get those old cars off the road, stop making the new cars more expensive. But people don't think it through to that level. Yeah. <clears throat> Nuance is a bit of a lost art in 2019. Yeah. Do you have any plans to return to writing on Seek Seeking Alpha or Twitter? You know, I missed, missed writing on Seeking Alpha. And yet, in this, I had really said everything I had to say. What more was there to say? Um, and Twitter was a place for me to advertise content. Hey, I just wrote an article at Seeking Alpha. Go read it. That's why I got onto Twitter. Twitter has now become, and you know, that that guy Elgato Malo has written a brilliant thread about how, how Tesla Q is a system and you can lop off the head of, for example, Montana skeptic, but it doesn't, you know, it's a hydra, 10 heads grow where that one head was. Twitter has become instead of a place to promote content, it has become the content. You have so many bright people from different areas of expertise now writing at Twitter uh, about, you know, actual data, facts, analysis. It's, 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 uh, it's evolved so fast into the content itself that it's extraordinary. Yes, there's still a need for, um, for other content, but the Tesla Q phenomenon has been fascinating for me to watch. And I don't feel a need to return to writing. And I also promised that, uh, you know, my boss that I wouldn't ever write again. Uh, Montana skeptic is gone. He's gone from, um, seeking alpha and he's gone from Twitter and, uh, that's the way it must be. But he lives on with occasional podcast interviews. Promise not to do podcasts if I if I get a request to stop doing those. Well, we'll have a discussion about that. All right, all right. I, I think this is going to be our last question of the interview, and it's actually from a 
a bit of a Tesla bull, although he said he doesn't have a position currently. But is there anything that Tesla could do that would turn you from bearish to just being neutral about Tesla over, say, the next six months? What would that take? I was, you know, I uh, participated in an investor conference called the Robin Hood Investor Conference in New York in October, which was a magnificent experience. It's over a two-day period. And I was asked to be part of a panel, a Tesla bull bear debate panel. And uh, Gordon Johnson and I were the bears, and Kathy Wood and Trip Chowdhury were the bulls. And it was a fascinating experience. And the moderator asked me, what would cause you to change your mind about Tesla? And Tesla had just reported that Q3 profit, you know, and in the so-called miracle quarter. And I said, if Tesla were to report four straight quarters of gap profitability, I would admit I was wrong. I, I, Tesla is, in fact, a sustainable enterprise, and I was wrong about everything. And uh, I still believe that today. If, if Tesla were to report four straight quarters of gap profitability, then I would say I was wrong. Tesla did report a second straight quarter in Q4, as you remember, smaller than Q3. And then with more and then in Q1 with fewer deliveries, it lost, you know, about double what it had earned in those two quarters. Well, maybe 40. It lost, you know, a, yeah, it lost more than it had uh, made in those two quarters plus some. The, the, the moderator asked that question of everyone on the panel and and Trip Chowdhury said it's inconceivable that uh, I uh, that I could be wrong and Kathy Wood said nothing could make me change my mind. I have battle tested our model, our financial model, and my bear case of 400 is as conservative as it could possibly be. <laughs> so nothing ever could change my mind. Now we're six months later and I have to say – over the next six months, what could make me change my mind? Okay, if Tesla, if Tesla, if delivers a uh, hundred thousand cars in each quarter, so it could come close to meeting its full year guidance, have a chance, you know, an outside chance, because um, you know, a th another hundred in the fourth quarter would bring it to three sixty, and if it were profitable in both those quarters, then I would admit I'm wrong. Yeah, the, the four straight quarters clock got reset substantially with quarter You know, one. and shorting should never be based on valuation, but Tesla remains a great valuation short, you know. Mm. That's that's not a reason to short a stock. It's dangerous because, you know, the cult lives on. Yeah, I, I think in the Adam Jonas call from the week before last, I think he, he mentioned something that, Tesla Q's said on numerous occasions that on an EV to sales basis, if you adjust for the enterprise value of Tesla and compare it to other automobile manufacturers, the equity would have to have a negative value. The, the equity could have a negative value and it would still be double the EV to sales multiple of like Toyota. That was or BMW. Or that was an like amazing that. Adam Jones call. Like, it was more bearish than anything any Tesla bear could have said and be believed, you know? Mm-hmm. I've act, that's actually been what I've intended to to do my next episode on and uh use some of the, the lyrics from the Weezer song My Name is Jonas, but I've not actually finished listening to the call yet or reading the transcript that paul Hooten yeah put no, together listen so, yeah listen so to the, listen to the call while you look at his transcript it's it's an amazing amazing event do you have any do you want to flip the interview and ask me any questions i don't know if i don't know if you're prepared if any. <laughs> i don't know if i'm prepared to answer yeah that. well what is what is what 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 advice would you give to anybody considering at this point going short tesla how would you tell them to do it would you tell them to do it? And if you would, in, in what time frame, with what numbers? First of all, I would I would try to vet their investing acumen. I would see if they had any idea what an enterprise value was versus market cap, which is just the equity, the share price times the number of shares. That would be a, a, a starting point. If I became confident that they knew what an enterprise value was and 
could grasp that concept, then I would go from there and try to show them some comparisons of the enterprise value to sales multiples of Toyota, BMW, Ford, GM, other automobile manufacturers. I would also try to inform them about the PAVE coalition. The uh, I forget exactly what the acronym stands for, but it's a coalition of lots of automobile manufacturers and other companies that are working diligently on autonomous driving technology. Which, by the way, includes a 15 or so different companies, but does not include... Tesla, yes. Tesla is the glaring omission from this consortium. Waymo's in it. GM Cruises in it. Toyota's in it. Volkswagen, Ford. Basically, every other major auto manufacturer is part of this coalition, and Tesla's not. So I would I would point them in that direction, uh, and just the autonomous space in general, and point them to Elon's comments about the companies that are using lidar being doomed. No, 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 no. I want you to now. I want you to tell a Tesla bear, a would-be Tesla bear, how you would invest. What, what, what do your Tesla investments look like? My current Tesla investments are all put spreads, along with some. Very, very speculative near-term bankruptcy puts. Huh. So, I over the over the months, I had used bankruptcy puts far too much, and I'm actually I'm actually down still overall on my Tesla short position over the course of the last ten months or so. But I'm getting getting closer to even. So so. But, I'll- I only started the the put spreads within the last six to eight weeks or so, and those have actually been doing much much yeah. better. Listen, I, I I like call spreads a lot, and um, use them, and and for puts I I buy puts, but I I I pay dearly for them because I buy puts that are in the money, and long dated, they cost a lot more, but they have been time works in your favor and they they've been a great thing for me to have and they're sleep at night kind of things and um you know the so-called uh as you call them bankruptcy puts i think uh elmer fudd calls them shit puts uh Mm -hmm. that's a riskier proposition but they're cheap yes those are yeah they're very cheap and you can buy cheap put spreads too that are far out of the money um the the put spreads that i've been most successful with recently were the ones that were much closer to being in the money. So, okay, so last question so, for you. So this is still a bit of a, a learning process for me. So here's too. a question for you. What makes Elon Musk tick? What makes yeah, him tick? What is, what? what is he thinking? What is he about? What's going on with that guy? Well, I think you have to go back a long ways. I, I, I think... I think what makes him tick is the idea that I I think he believes that he's a bit of a genius. And I think this kind of relates to what we were saying about Chamath earlier. The fact that Chamath made that money by being an early investor in Facebook, I think has somewhat skewed his own view of himself. And I think that's probably happened to a far greater extent for Elon Musk. And one thing that I didn't really realize until maybe four or five months ago about Elon Musk is that his family has been wealthy for a very long time. So whenever he left the university of Pennsylvania and was going to go start his graduate program at Stanford in supercapacitors or whatever, which was he actually admitted to Stanford or not? That's a, a question that has been asked, but due to the fact that his family was already wealthy, him making his money with Zip2 or X.com or whatever it was, and then PayPal, I'm not sure he actually had to take the level of risk that a true, fully bootstrapped entrepreneur would have to take to have put himself in that early position in his early to mid-20s when he became a hundred millionaire at the age of something less than 30, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I'm not, I think he gets more credit 
for being an entrepreneur and business starter than he deserves. Even even going that far back to when he was right out of his undergraduate degrees from the University of Pennsylvania, which is the same school that Ross Gerber went to. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I think there's a few other prominent Tesla Bulls that also have a a pin connection, which I've noted. So. I think his just his view of himself as a an innovator, entrepreneur, super genius has gotten overinflated. And I think over the last decade, as the Marvel movies have become so popular with Iron Man and everything, I think that's just exacerbated the issue to an extreme degree. Yeah. If you read that Ashley Vance biography, which I trust you've done the trail of human wreckage he has left in his wake is stunning. The people who failed to say yes quickly enough, the people who voiced doubts about what he insisted must be done, the people who had qualms about the ethical corners he wanted to cut, his raging fits of fury are epic. And I can only imagine how deeply unpleasant it must be to work at Tesla right now. And it is certainly no surprise that we have seen the extraordinary exodus of managerial talent from that company and i expect there's more to come by the way where is jb straubel these days days so listen we've gone on long enough right yeah we all right covered all enjoyed questions. it have a good evening thanks for joining all right Montana. my pleasure bye all right talk to you later all right that was montana Ooh. skeptic and this has been episode number 33 of the Tesla Q podcast. I actually haven't read the Ashley Vance biography of Elon Musk yet, but I'm going to put that uh, on my list of future books to read. I did read the Charles Duhigg Wired article about it. The name of the article was something to the effect of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in regards to Elon Musk. But I hope you enjoyed the interview. I, I didn't plan in advance to turn the tables on on things but i thought that was a, a fun little part of the episode hopefully i can get the two audio files mashed together in a good cohesive manner and hopefully all the early parts where where montana cut out a little bit aren't too too tough to follow if you want shorty merchandise go to evacuationboy.com and if you would like to become a contributor to the podcast go to patreon.com slash podcast and i appreciate you listening and have a good day. Bye-bye, everybody.